Good morning. Good morning, everyone. If you would please make your way to your seats. I'm going to ask the Lord's blessing on our time before we open up his word. God, we ask you to do what only you can do today. Would you sustain us? Would you give us focus? Would you speak to us, Lord, in ways that transform us? Help us to depend upon you for all these things and give you all the glory for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, ever since the garden with Adam and Eve, there has always been. And until King Jesus returns, there will always be opposition. Opposition to the people of God. The people of God have always have, had enemies. And Psalm 46, we're preaching from today, reminds us that while we always are opposed, whether indirectly or directly, whether we feel it or not, we are always opposed, yet praise the Lord, we are always safe and always secure. Always opposed, yet always safe and secure. We have trouble. Verse 1 of Psalm 46 tells us so. We need the Lord to be a very present help in our trouble. Jesus said that in this world you will have tribulation. It will always be so. And that specific tribulation or trouble that Psalm 46 speaks about is that is from the external opposition, those enemies from the outside that not only reject but seek to hinder or undo or destroy the people of God. Jesus says in John 15, 19, that I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The world hates you. This hatred is seen, we find it in the, even the earliest days of the church after Jesus ascended in the book of Acts. You can just do a search for the word against in the book of Acts and you will find how much there is opposition and hatred toward the people of God. There's persecution in in the book of Acts, we find early on that the apostle Paul, before he was an apostle, was one who was breathing murderous threats against the people of God. He was opposing the people of the way. But then later in the book of Acts, we find that this one who was doing the persecution has now been the one who is receiving persecution. Acts 14, Paul is dragged outside of the city and stoned. They thought he was dead. Turns out he was only mostly dead. And he goes back into the city and there to comfort him and encourage him. But he turns and starts to comfort them, encourage them, and tells them that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of heaven. Paul says in Philippians 3 that there are those who are enemies of the cross of Christ. We are always opposed. And this opposition to the people of God has, has been in every land and all the world throughout all of history. We feel it even today that our message... Our message is not just rejected, but it's opposed by atheists and skeptics and other, others in uh, academia and maybe in higher learning who give lectures and TED Talks and write books against the message of the people of God. 
They're not just against our message. They're also against our morals. Our biblical standards of morality are often mocked, if not outright assaulted, by many in the entertainment industry or in other social or political groups. And often this is indirect, though sometimes direct opposition. But if you were here last week, you may remember that I said that the month of November is the month where the church remembers to pray for the persecuted church especially. It is estimated that there are over 340 million Christians worldwide in 50 different countries right now who are in danger of or are actually experiencing extreme persecution. There are many communist regimes where Christianity is completely outlawed. You can't have a Bible. You can't meet together. You can't sing these songs or preach this message. They have to be in secret. If you found out, they have to flee their country or be imprisoned, tortured, or killed. I read this past week in the radical Muslim extremist nation of Afghanistan. There are very few Christians. And part of that is because they have a lot of clans. So each family is a part of a clan. There are uh, Muslim clans. And the rules are that they have to at least disown their family member if they convert from Islam to Christianity. But most of the time, the clans tell them they have to put them to death. One way, I guess, around this is some of them have them committed to psychiatric hospitals because they say it's actually insane to convert from Islam. There are these and many more various kinds and levels of opposition to the people of God. They've always been opposed. How does that affect us? We tend to fear in the face of such opposition. We tend to to fear even in just the, the thought of such opposition, that it's potential, that it's possible. I said that although we are safe, we are opposed and yet safe. We don't always feel it, though, do we? Our faith is easily, too easily shaken. We feel that we are less secure than we actually are. We feel and we live often as though we are less secure than we really, truly are. And we tend to function sometimes like the godless peoples around us forgetting to actively remember and embrace our God, that he is sovereign and good and committed to us and full of grace for his people. Therefore, we need, we need this word of Psalm 46. When we are opposed, or even when there's the threat of opposition, we need to hold before us the message of Psalm 46, which is simply that the Lord will glorify himself as the mighty and merciful God of his people. God is the Lord, and he will be exalted as the God of might and the God of mercy who is for his people. But who are his people? Who are his people? Look at verse 1 of Psalm 46. It says, God is our refuge, our refuge. Verse 7 and verse 11 are the repeated refrain. It says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Who is us? Who, Who are the people that this is talking about? Who are the people of God? Is it everyone? No. We know that especially just from verse 6. The nations rage. That's the peoples of the world rage against the people of God. They oppose the people of God. So there are the people of God and those who oppose them. So no, not all are the people of God. God is not a fortress for everyone. 
I think this is a necessary word for us to, to apply this. The question we're asking is, who is this psalm for? Who gets to appropriate this psalm and say, God is my fortress, he is with us? Who gets to say that? Well, we see that this psalm is written in Hebrew, ancient Hebrew, of the people of Israel. It was written by the sons of Korah, who were Jewish men of the tribe of Levi. It was not only written by them and for them, it's written even talking about those in the midst of that people. Verse 4 talks about the city of God. That's Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel. In the psalm, God is referred to as the God of Jacob. Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. These are the famous patriarchs of Israel. Jacob's name was changed to Israel because he was the father of the 12 sons who would be the 12 tribes of Israel. So Psalm 46 meant for Jewish people, those of Jewish descent, those who are Israelites by nationality and birth. It's all important here for us to get this point. This is true for all the Psalms. It's important for us to understand that not only are we as Gentile, non-Jewish Christians allowed to appropriate this psalm, allowed to apply it and embrace it as our own. In fact, this psalm is only for Christians. We, Christians, are the people of God. It is only those who are in Christ by grace through faith who are the true Israelites, the true sons of Jacob, the true city of God, the true people of God. Paul says in Romans 9, verses 6 through 8, For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But, as God says to Abraham in Genesis, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Not through Ishmael. Not just because there is a, uh, a direct um, line, bloodline. This means, Paul says, that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. And in Ephesians 2, Paul says, So then, speaking to Gentiles, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So if you are standing on Jesus Christ as your foundation, the cornerstone of your life and of your faith, of your everything, you are part of the people of God. And it is only those who do so who are the people of God. Those of us who trust in and love Jesus, we are always opposed. And yet it is we who get to say that God is our refuge and strength. He is our fortress. He's with us. We read here in verse 1, God is our refuge and strength. And in verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. Those who are trusting in Jesus, the God of Jacob, is our fortress. I want to unpack that. That phrase, that repeated refrain of verse 7 and verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. That phrase, Lord of hosts, means that God is the sovereign one. He's the ruler. He's the leader, like the general of this angelic army, the host of his warriors. This is his, he is the mighty warrior king who leads them into battle for the good of his people. This is where God is mighty, and yet he's also with us in mercy. This mighty God is a merciful God. The Lord of hosts is with us. And regardless 
of who opposes us, if God is with us, if God is for us, then who can be against us? The second phrase says that the God of Jacob is our fortress. A phrase the God of Jacob speaks of God's covenant kindness, his mercy. Because Jacob, Jacob was this weak, manipulative mama's boy who was a liar and a cheat, a trickster. And God says, I will be Jacob's God. Why? Because of his mercy. Because of his grace, he chose Jacob and people like Jacob, sinners like him, to say, I will be your God. You will be my people. This God who is merciful is also the God who is mighty because the God of Jacob is our fortress. This is speaking of this massively high tower that no one can ascend to. No one can reach those. Those who are in this fortress, he keeps safe. God makes his people safe. God is full of might and he's full of mercy for his people. That's the message of Psalm 46. The Lord will glorify himself as the mighty and merciful God of his people. Verse 1 again tells us as much. God is our refuge because he is merciful and our strength because he is mighty. He's a very present help in trouble. That phrase, very present help, is interesting. In the Hebrew, it's most literally exceedingly able to be found. Like he's easy to find. When you're in trouble, you don't have to look hard for him. He's easy to be found. He's easily and always accessible to you. And the implication is he is always found by those who seek him. So the application is seek him. Seek him. And you will find him, and he will help you when you face opposition, or even when you have a fear of opposition, there's a threat or the potential of it, then seek him. He's not hiding from you, beloved. He's not hiding. You don't have to be worthy of his help. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it and have the right pedigree or to stand in line and fill out paperwork or have the right connections except for Jesus. And if it, you are trusting in Jesus, then you must simply earnestly seek him, and he will be found by you. And he will help you. We are always opposed. But we are always safe. We're not only safe. God makes his people safe and he makes his people secure. Secure in, in spite of what? Look at verse 2 with me. Psalm 46 verse 2. Therefore we will not fear though the earth gives way. In spite of the fact that the mountains can be moved into the heart of the sea... Even though the waters may roar and foam, and while the mountains tremble at its swelling, we have security. This, this, these massive phrases here in verses 2 and 3 about the earth and the mountains and the sea, this is an exaggeration. This is not hyperbole. But it's not exactly literal either. It's a metaphor. I say that because of the rest of the context of Psalm 46, but also because he uses specific words here. The Hebrew word for moved, the mountains being moved into the heart of the sea in verse 2 is the same word in verse 6 that the kingdoms totter. That's they shift, they shake, they, they are moved. And it seems like when, when the kingdoms around us are, are moving and they're moving against us or they're moving and falling away because the nations are raging, it seems that our whole world is shaking. The mountains, these these. These setbacks and mountains are even being thrown into the heart of the sea. And the word in verse 3 for roar, the waters roar and foam is the same word in verse 6 that the nations rage. The nations may roar against the people of God and raged. He says it may seem like 
these seas. The waters themselves are against you and will consume you. They start to swell and rise up with great pride to destroy. But the people of God are secure. They're secure. I say secure here because of four phrases we find in these verses. Verse 2, first he says, therefore, we will not fear. We won't fear. When you earnestly seek God in faith, trusting him to be your refuge and strength, your easily accessible, very present help in trouble, when he's your fortress and you trust him for that, you start to feel as safe as you actually are. You start to feel as secure as you really, truly are. This is this inward, subjective feeling of security, and it's picked up again in verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. It's another metaphor. God is in the midst of her, just like the, the streams of the river are in the midst of the people of God. God is this river, this peaceful, calm river with its streams blessing the people of God. This is in contrast to verse 3 where they have the waters of the sea roaring and foaming, swelling, threatening, with tumultuous power to bring death and destruction. God, in contrast, is like this gentle stream. It is for the good of his people. He himself is the source of our life and our joy and our peace and our comfort and our hope and our blessings. And he brings security. He gives a hope that the world doesn't understand. And they, they ask us, why do you have hope? It doesn't make sense. God gives us a peace even that we don't understand. He gives us this inward subjective security. But more than that, he also gives us this objective reality of security. The next part of verse 5, God is in the midst of her and she shall not be moved. That's the city of God. The people of God shall not be moved. We should be afraid. We should be very afraid, actually. That the opposition, the enemies will overwhelm us. If, and only if, God is afraid. We should be afraid if God is terrified. But he never is. He can't be. We will fall to the enemy. We will be overwhelmed and crushed, never to return again, just as soon as he who is in our midst falls to the enemy. He, our mighty warrior king who is with us, the Lord of hosts, the God of Jacob, who was our fortress, he's in the midst of, our, of us, his people. And as soon as he falls, then so will we. But he cannot fall. We are as secure and as safe as our refuge and strength. And our refuge and strength is God himself. God is in our midst. We need not fear. We are secure. But it's not just that God is in our midst. We are in his midst, right? We are hiding in him. He's our fortress, and we hide in him for protection. No matter what opposition may come our way, we shall not be moved. And the reason why, because of the last part of verse 5, because God will help her when morning dawns. God will help us. He will surely always help his people, even if we have to wait until morning. I think that phrase that when morning dawns is two kind of points to that. One is that when his help finally comes, even though if it's been a lifetime of opposition, it will seem to us then as though it was just nearly, merely a night passing. The other point of that, when the morning dawns, 
When the morning dawns and the sun rises, that's when God parts the waters. That's when God comes the age. That's when the Son of God rises from the dead. When the morning dawns, that's when he comes to help us. It's a perfect timing. It's a new day. When he causes the sun to rise in the dark night of our soul's suffering, he says, I'm here. I'm here to help. So take refuge in God. Wait for him. He's our refuge, our strength, our very present help in trouble. He's our fortress and the God who is with us. He makes us safe. He makes us secure. And then verses 6 through 10 tell us how he does that. God makes his people safe and he makes them secure by subduing his enemies. God subdues his enemies so as to make us safe and secure. The peoples of the world are mentioned in verse 6. The nations, that's the peoples all around us. They rage against us. They oppose us. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The nations may rage. The peoples may roar. But note two truths. One, they're raging against God, not just us. And not even ultimately us. God subdues our enemies, yes, but he subdues his enemies. Because he says, your enemies are mine. That's what he tells Paul on the road to Damascus. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul says, I I don't know who you are. I've been persecuting these people called Christians. He says, they're mine. And you mess with them, you're messing with me. Jesus says in Luke 10 that if they reject you, no, they're rejecting me. And if they reject me, they reject the one who sent me. Our enemies are actually God's enemies. That should bring us comfort because he will subdue his enemies. The second truth to note about this is that though the nations rage and roar with all their anger, gnashing their teeth at us, God simply utters his voice and the earth melts. It's like all of creation is being pictured that is opposing the people of God. They're like cheap wax that melts before his holy wrath. The fire of his anger for his people and against their enemies. We are safe. We are secure from all opposition because he protects us from them and he fights them for us. Verse 8, 9 continue this theme and it says come behold the works of the lord how he has brought desolations on the earth he makes wars cease to the ends of the earth he breaks the bow and shatters the spear and burns the chariots with fire he breaks the bow and shatters the spear this is the weapons that they would use against us and this phrase for he burns the chariots with fire the word chariots there are the weapons carts so he disarms them they have nothing left to attack us with this is what he does for his people See, part of embracing our safety and our security in the Lord, part of even just feeling this and living in light of the fact that we are really, truly secure and safe, is beholding the works of the Lord. We must behold his works. Name a kingdom. Name an empire. Name an administration that has been on for any length of time that has not seen trouble or shame or death. You can't, because there aren't any. There has been war and sickness and natural disasters and financial crashes and all kinds of embarrassing and destructive events that have touched every power, every group. 
every society in the history of the world. And God has ordained it all. He has planned it and worked through it all to humble all of us and to bring justice and to warn humanity of the coming judgment when Jesus returns. But he also has done it to remind his people of his sovereign control over and his commitment and willingness to fight for us against all and over all events, all circumstances, all kingdoms, all people, and all happenings. I love what Charles Spurgeon says of this verse. He says, we should read our history books with all of its calamities, all of its desolations, and all the tragedies. And we should read our newspapers, we might add, and listen to our podcasts and to our news stations in light of this verse. And we should remember, we're just beholding the works of the Lord. He has done it. He has done it. He brings desolations on the earth. Spurgeon says that the head of the church rules the nations. Isn't that beautiful? The head of the little old church in this vast world of opposition, the head of the church rules the nations for the good of his people. He is the mighty and merciful God. He is the fortress. He is the warrior king of his people, and he makes them, he keeps them safe by subduing his enemies. And he does all of this ultimately for his own glory. Look at verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Now, many of people have found much comfort from this verse, and I think we should gather comfort from this, but maybe not as many people assume. They hear it and they say, God is telling us, just be calm, be at peace. I got you. But that's not what he's saying. This is not first and foremost a word of comfort to the afflicted people of God. It's a word of rebuke and warning against the nations who oppose the people of God. He's telling them to be still. Stop it. Cease and desist all of your arrogant opposition against my people, God says. Lay down your weapons, bend your knees, and bow your hearts before me. Give allegiance and submission to me and trust that I will spare you. And I will bring you into my kingdom and let you be one of my people. But know this, you who oppose my people, I am God and you are not. And I will be glorified one way or the other. God is the Lord who will glorify himself as the mighty and merciful one of his people. And surely this is comforting to us. It should be comforting to us. It should comfort us greatly, but not, not directly. Indirectly, because we are overhearing what God is saying to our enemies. And it's here in Psalm 46 that we would hear it, that we would read of this and say, this is what God says to our enemies in our hearing so that we would find comfort, Yes but also so that we would be humbled. Because you know what he says, that God says, I will be exalted. I will be glorified. Not us. We need this, I think, because we might be tempted to feel that if God is for us, well, then that means he's about us. If God is for our good, he must be for our glory. But that's not the case. God is for our good, unto his glory. Just because he serves us does not mean that we are his masters. 
He helps us, but we don't deserve it. This is his merciful service to his people. He makes us safe. He makes us secure, but he does not make us superior to himself or anyone else. There is a real distinction in this world. There is an us and there is a them. That's real. There is the people of God and there are those who are not the people of God. There are those who, his, who are his subjects and those who are rebels. There are those who are his children and there are those who are his enemies. There's a real distinction, but that distinct, distinction is not that we are superior. We are more blessed because God is our fortress, not theirs. But we are not better. We're more blessed, but we're not better. We're blessed because of his grace and his mercy. So that God fights for us and protects us and helps us and serves us does not speak to our honor and our glory, but to his. It speaks to his might and his mercy. I think we, we, we tend to have this analogy in our minds. Well, if God is our fortress, then we're the people he, he's protecting, and the people are more valuable than the fortress, right? Like, he, like he's a safe and we're the jewels kept inside. We're so valuable and wonderful, and God just protects us because, well, we're worthy of it. That's a bad analogy. That's not the way it is. It's more like we are a part of his kingdom. We're part of his army. And we are soldiers. And he is the mighty warrior king who leads the charge. And yet we are often found to be weak and cowardly and even sometimes seem to be fighting for the enemy. And he comes in all of his bravery and courage and his great might and strength. And he comes committed to his kingdom and to his people. And he comes with mercy for us and he protects us. And he fights for us so that he gets all, all the badges, all the accolades, all the honor, and all the glory. The Lord will be glorified as the triumphant warrior king, as the protective fortress, as the mighty and merciful God of his people. How are we to respond to this? What should be our response? Depends on who you are. Are you part of the people of God or not? If you are not, if you are not trusting in Jesus Christ, if you're not submitting to Jesus as the only Lord, the only Savior, then God's message to you is be still. Stop it. Stop rebelling against me. Cease all your running away from me and run to me. Submit to him in humble, repentant faith in the Lord Jesus. And know that he is God and you are not. And that he will be glorified one way or the other. Either in your submission and your faith and your worship of him or in his justice of his judgment against you. This morning, if that's where you're at, Come and talk to me afterwards, please. I'd love to answer any questions or tell you more about this. Or you can put it on a connection card or you can um, email us. We'd love to share with you more of this good news that you can be a part of the people of God. You can be one of those whom the Lord says, I'm with you. I'm your fortress. And for those of you who are, who are part of the people of God because you're trusting in Jesus. You have this humble faith in the Lord Jesus. Know this, that God protects you. He fights for you. And he does that 
against those who would attack them, subduing our enemies, his enemies. And he does it all for his own glory. And so we should want to be a part of him being exalted, him being glorified, right? But how do we do that? Let me give you three quick things. Number one, we ought to praise him. God's presence with us, his power for us, his protection and preservation of us should result in his praise from us. God is our safety and our security, and so we should praise him as such. The psalm, Psalm 46, is a song meant to be sung in praise to God for being the fortress, the warrior king, the refuge and strength of his people. We should praise him for it. Secondly, we should trust him. When opposition comes or even when it's threatened, don't fear. Don't fear, but rather continue trusting him and grow in trusting him. Seek him to be your help. Seek him in faith to be your refuge, knowing that he is your fortress. Trust him to make you safe and to keep you secure. But don't let this just merely be in word or in song where we say it, yeah, I trust him, and we sing it, God, I trust you. May it be found in our actions of life. May we live as though we are as safe as we actually are. How would that, how would that change us? How would that change how we live and love others with, with great risk and sacrifice because we say, I'm safe. I'm secure. I can trust him. May you, may we all be able to say with the psalmist that God is our refuge. Say, I will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. God is my fortress. I will not fear if the nations rage and the kingdoms totter. I will not fear if ISIS or China or Russia or North Korea rages and roars and the U.S. falls. I will not fear. I am safe and secure even if all goods and all kindred are lost. Even if I am persecuted unto financial ruin and imprisonment or even death for following Christ, I will not fear because God is my refuge and strength. And the Lord will be glorified as the mighty and merciful God of his people. We ought to trust him for it. And lastly, we ought to help others trust him. Maybe most specifically, if you're not experiencing opposition today, maybe you don't even feel it indirectly. Two things. One, be prepared because it will come. And number two, there are others right now who are experiencing opposition and persecution to intense degrees. We ought to pray for them. We ought to pray that God would help them to cling to Jesus, to not give up hope, but to see that God is their refuge, that, he would see, that they would seek him, knowing that he will be found by them and he will help them when morning dawns. We ought to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world, that God would be their fortress, that they would not fear but trust him to the very end. And brothers and sisters in Christ, there is no greater, no clearer, no fuller demonstration of the might and mercy of God being mingled together than in the work, than in the person of Jesus Christ. Nowhere has God been a fortress for his people more than in the sending of his Son to bear God's wrath. Do you see? God is our refuge and our strength. Jesus' death is our refuge. His resurrection is our strength. 
His ascension, in his ascension, he's a very present help in trouble for us. And when morning dawns, he will return. The gospel message. We hear the voice of God say, the Lord of hosts is with you. We hear the voice of God saying, the, the God of Jacob is your fortress. We hear him saying, behold, the works of the Lord, when we hear the gospel being proclaimed. We feel the river of God bringing us the gladness of peace and security in the person of Jesus Christ. We see the exaltation of God most beautifully in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus in the place of sinners just like us. So please, if you are not trusting in Christ, if He is not your fortress from the wrath of God, then don't come to particular communion when others do. Or if you're not yet baptized, giving evidence to that faith, then stay where you are and then come and talk to us afterwards. We'd love to share with you more about that as well. And this morning, if you are trusting in the Lord Jesus, he's your hope, your refuge, your strength, your fortress, your mighty warrior king. And you want to praise him for it and, and grow in your faith, your trust in him for it. Then in just a moment, you can exit to your left and come up to one of these tables to grab the communion elements. To the far left, there is gluten-free. You can go back to the right Take it, giving him great praise and asking him to strengthen your faith in him that you would not fear, but that you would trust him and maybe even pray for our brothers and sisters around the world as you take it. For those who are ready, whenever you are ready, please come.